0: Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes on Iowa podcast, episode number 22. In the first podcast of the new year, Quinn Douglas, Zach Martin join us. Uh, no Carter Carpenter today. He had some scheduling conflicts, so Carter couldn't make it today. But uh, Zach, how are we doing today?
1: We're doing good, Quinn. Uh, excited to ring in the new year and uh, looking forward to what all of uh, looking forward to what all this year Um can can happen and you know hopefully it'll be better than than last year that's what you always want you want to have a a good a good 2023 and you know hopefully hopefully it's better than uh hopefully it's better than last year so you always want to hope for for a better year and I think we're off to a good
0: start uh in that regard at least in a couple of ways especially if you're a fan of the Cyclones or a fan of the Hawkeyes uh but we're going to start with Iowa State first and with that in mind we do have a guest joining us on the podcast here today he is the site publisher of 24-7 sports, CycloneAlert.com. He's also uh, worked for uh, the Wisconsin State Journal. He's also even interned at ESPN with Pardon the Interruption. He's our good friend of the podcast, first-time joiner of the podcast. Nick Oson joins us. Nick, glad to have you on, my friend.
2: Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Like you said, it's a new year. Fun to kind of look ahead. And obviously for you know a little bit of Iowa later, and certainly Iowa State for me, a lot to talk about. It's it's a very exciting time in the land of the Cyclones for sure.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, well, we'll leave things out with Iowa State basketball since they did play. Uh, both the men and women played last night. The Iowa State men. They got out to a fast start. They led by as much as 18 at Oklahoma at the Lloyd Noble Center. Oklahoma stormed back, but Iowa State was able to scrap and claw and fight on for a 63-60 win over the Sooners. And at Hilton Coliseum, as well, happening at the same time, the Iowa State women, they were able to get a, a pretty convincing victory over West Virginia in uh, their home opener in Big 12 play. And uh, I want to start off with the men's game because I, I actually watched most of the men's game last night Uh, a couple things I I took away from the men's game number one this team for Iowa State uh, if if it comes down to a battle of toughness in Big 12 play I'm not worried about the Cyclones they showed they were tough as any as tough as any team from a mental and physical aspect of the Big 12 last night I was really impressed in that regard and number two I tell you what there's a night you know if Caleb Grill is on against any given team in the Big 12 it's you're going to have a hard time stopping Iowa state, I think is what we're figuring out because he was fantastic. Went five for nine from downtown. He really was the X factor in this game for the Cyclones. And uh, I I'm just really, you know, I I feel, it feels like if Caleb grill goes, the sky's the limit for this Iowa state team.
2: Yeah, I really couldn't have been, you know, much more impressed with the start, especially Quinn that you hit on Mm -hmm. and obviously then doing enough to get the victory. I, I think that Iowa state, is very physical. I think that's something that was somewhat expected with the TJ Atlberger team and this staff. I think that's something that's really kind of a heavy focus and you know defense-oriented there. I love what you said about Caleb Grill. And I think earlier today I was I was also thinking, you know, I'd kind of say some of the same things about Gabe Kalcher. I felt mm-hmm. like he's shown this week kind of the multiple sides of his game, right? He he was in the starting lineup over the weekend. I believe he put up 23. Uh, last game against Baylor and then obviously in the Oklahoma game he got a few buckets I think he scored nine points in total but locking down Sherfield, who has been one of the best scorers really in the entire Big 12 conference obviously Kalischer has a lot of experience I think that's something that is very much relied upon and appreciated for the Cyclones team and, and now I was just looking you know two and oh in the Big 12 conference and I believe 11 and two on the year that's an incredible start to the season especially when you look back at maybe how they looked at Iowa and, and maybe not having a guy like Isaiah Brockington like they did last year but they've impressed and I really can't say enough about the staff and the experience within the Cyclones.
1: Nick see if I'm on the right line of thinking do you think Iowa State has really bought into this identity that they are one of the tougher teams in the Big 12 and kind of in the country because it felt like last year during non-conference play they were one of the toughest teams and then it felt like they kind of lost their identity once they hit Big 12 play do you think they've kind of they've they bought into that and it's just who they're going to be as you know at um this is how they're going to have to beat teams in the Big 12?
2: Absolutely I, I think that they've not only bought in but kind of figured out this balance it seems this year of you know owning that identity being Proud of kind of being this defensive, tough, physical-oriented team. But again, like Quinn was saying about Grill and some of the early offense in the Oklahoma game, I think that they're finding that balance. I'm not sure if that's just personnel driven or maybe a bigger focus from the staff. But I I think that it's a really good thing that shows, you know, if you're in a game in the eighties or nineties, sure it'll be tough for the Cyclones, but Those 70s, high 70s, maybe low 80s, I could see this team still hanging around because they've shown that they have multiple guys that can get a bucket. I think that I loved what I saw in spurts from Caleb Grill last year. You know, I played basketball for a long time, so it's pretty obvious he has really a good-looking shot, but it just seems that the confidence is there, the comfort is there. Jaron Holmes has been a nice addition, and of course, some of the depth on kind of the front line. So I feel like the team is really in a good spot right now guys as we move along in big 12 play
1: how do you think they how do you think they match up with tcu because i i think tcu has got the best back cor- or one of the best backcourts in the big 12 it's it's going to be a real test for jaron holmes Taman lipsy uh kalsher and 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 that and that backcourt slash wing group to kind of defend what tcu has how if if you were to say how they match, how Iowa State matches up against TCU, do you think they match up pretty well? Do you think it's going to be a, or do you think they, it, it's, it might be a bit of a struggle?
2: Well, I think I'm going to kind of take, you know, maybe this diplomatic answer here, but I feel like it's the truth. I think that the way Iowa State can play defense, they can match up against just about anyone. However, you won't meet too many people higher on, like you mentioned the backcourt, I think Mike Miles is really one of the best players in the entire country. That showed, obviously, this week on national TV against Baylor. He he showed why he very much could have gone to the NBA last year, maybe been an early second-round pick, late first round. But Miles is really tough. He's just he's comfortable. He's confident. He can obviously create with with experience kind of playing in that on-ball creation role as a point guard but he's so confident and skilled and just making shots when the team needs it. It reminds me sometimes of what Isaiah Brockington did last year. I think that Miles has a really strong ceiling. And I'm also intrigued by the the matchup in the post for this weekend, too, against TCU. I think mm-hmm. TCU is a really good team. There's no question they've kind of hit their stride. I believe I saw they won 11 in a row. I know that they're in a really good start uh, to Big 12 play. But as I've kind of you know talked about with some of my readers on the boards and just kind of got this feeling i don't think too many people would have picked iowa state to start 2 and 0 in conference play so now i don't feel that there's a ton of pressure going into this game if if they win that's terrific but if not you still kind of have that winning 2 to 1 edge before
1: you return back to hill yeah, I feel like it's they're playing with house money right now. That's kind of how I feel, and I think that I think they're going to be playing with house money for the next handful of games. Even if they lose to TCU, I think they're playing with they're playing with house money for a little bit.
0: And I'm glad you brought up the, the matchup down low because I think TCU. Is uh, you know, a lot of people talk about Mike Miles and that backcourt and how good it is, but I don't think a lot of people are giving enough credit to this TCU front court. I did have a chance to watch Eddie Lampkin play when they played Iowa in the Emerald Coast Classic, and I was really impressed with his physicality and his ability to really bully bully uh Philip Rabracha. You know, he Phillips only six nine, but you know, he he he's proven to be a guy that can be physical, but Eddie Lampkin was able to have his way in that game against Iowa back. That was over Thanksgiving, eight points, nine rebounds. And he's a guy just, you know, he's a really intriguing matchup too, especially for a guy like an Oshun, Oshun, who is, you know, Oshun is tall. He's six eleven, you know, seven foot, depending on how you look at it. But he is a, a lengthier, six eleven, you know, 6'11, seven foot. Eddie Lampkin is a well-built, almost like a, like a Caleb Swanigan type of player or a, uh, I, I think of uh uh, some of the bigs that Tom Izzo's had at Michigan State, Nick Ward type of player, a big, wide body that can really pose a threat and really pose some matchup issues for maybe a taller, you know, lankier, more normal sized center or power fourth that most basketball teams at the, at the power fly level will throw out and a night in, night out basis. So I really, really intrigued to this matchup coming up on Saturday between Oshuna Shunyi and Eddie Lampkin Jr.
2: Yeah, I think that Lampkin is. Honestly, kind of a star as well in his own right. I think that sometimes the numbers maybe aren't as inflated as, you know, they could be maybe as I thought they were going to be coming into this year. But again, the Horn Frogs returned a lot, just about everybody from that team last year. A lot of guys that can get buckets. And, Quinn, I, I totally agree with you. I think that that's going to be really intriguing. However, I'm not sure how much of an advantage I give to TCU just because I do trust some of the physicality that mm-hmm. Iowa State will bring down low. So I think that Lampkin is, is really good. I know that I enjoyed watching him in the in the tournament last year and kind of seeing some of his progress, but I, I like what you said there, and I do think that while the backcourt will get a lot of the discussion, and rightfully so, that's certainly a matchup to watch that could potentially determine the game on Saturday.
1: Nick, overall, how, how impressive have you been about the entirety of the Big 12? I mean, it's right now it's the best conference in basketball and I don't think it's up for a debate.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll be honest and Quinn knows this. I I was a Big Ten guy at heart, right? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. I always thought Big Ten was certainly up there with programs like the Badgers, Michigan State, Michigan, Illinois, you know, Purdue, obviously all those teams. But the Big 12 is on a different level, guys. I mean, you look at Not only just the eye test, right? If you popped on ESPN last night, it was pretty clear. But I'm getting more into some of these numbers as I kind of grow in the beat, whether you look at Ken Palm or just some of the offensive projections throughout the year. They're staggering, and it's almost unbelievable how deep this conference is. I am of the mindset that it's actually in a better place than it was last year, and the conference was pretty dang good last season got the last two national champions. Those teams obviously are still good this year, especially Kansas. And, and I just think that you, I mean, the coaches say it, but it's the truth. You can't take a night off. You can't just go anywhere to expect to win. I think that the teams that maybe were projected to kind of finish for the bottom likely would have been K state or West Virginia. Well, West Virginia has a bit of a, you know, a talent influx and, K-State's been maybe the story of college basketball so far this year with, with Tang and how good their record is and Keontae Johnson and some of their depth. So definitely, Zach, I think that it's incredibly impressive, and it's almost hard to believe as I'm covering this team and this league seemingly every night.
0: Yeah, you just look at the Big 12 top bum. i I've got the conference standings pulled up right in front of me. Right now you've got just a handful of teams that are undefeated 2-0 in conference play. Kansas, Kansas State, can't wait for that matchup when that comes around uh, here, probably relatively soon. Iowa State TCU, you know, one, one, so we're, we're going to lose one of those undefeated teams come Saturday in conference play between Iowa State TCU. Texas, they suffered their first loss as you mentioned. to K State at home and it's been kind of a rough 24-48 hours for the Longhorns with uh, now that Chris Beard has been announced he's been fired as the head coach of Texas. So at least the Longhorns for the rest of the year, no what to look for. I guess you could really look at it as they don't have any more questions about, about the future beyond this season. Maybe that'll help refocus the team on uh, finishing out the season. We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into what's going on in, down at Austin right now. Baylor, very surprisingly 0-2, but they are having issues on the defensive end, which is you know not not Scott Drew team-like. It's not it's not like a Scott Drew team to have those kind of issues, but I, I expect them to find a way to, to iron them out. In Texas Tech, zero two, they've lost two tough ones to TCU and to Kansas, and then West Virginia and Oklahoma round out the Big Twelve. And those are two teams that, even at you know zero two in the conference, Oklahoma's nine and five. You know, I think they're a bubble team. Uh, West Virginia, I think if you can get to five hundred in the conference, if you're West Virginia, I think you're in the tournament. Uh, if you're Bob Huggins and company, but just you know, looking at the Big Twelve, you know, and I'll give credit. To to uh to the you know you mentioned the Big Ten the Big Ten is one of those leagues you still can't take night at uh, night op in that league but the teams at the bottom aren't nearly as complete as the teams at the bottom of the Big Twelve that's that's the difference maker I think from the Big Twelve and a lot of other leagues you know even the you know the Big East the Big Ten the bad teams at the bottom you still got to bring your A game against because they can beat you but in the Big Twelve you better bring your A game against the bottom because those teams at the bottom will beat you I think that's the difference there.
2: Yeah, I, I do think, you know, that's probably my biggest takeaway compared to last year. I've said it on a few shows mm-hmm. that while the Big 12 has the last two national champions and, of course, Kansas very well could be number one next week. You know, they're still a terrific team. I think that the the bottom, as you say, or, you know, potentially teams that weren't as expected to be quite as good can bring it every night. Like Oklahoma for for a good stretch against Iowa State – look terrific and obviously they very well could be one and one two and oh in conference play Texas Tech you know high competition West Virginia I really like Bridges there and and I do think Huggins has done a nice job so far this season you know they'll get some victories Oklahoma State's been competitive it's going to be really really interesting I, I feel like Home court is so important, and that's why a lot of, you know, myself and a lot of my readers and such knew how important that Baylor game was initially to open the year. Obviously, the Cyclones were able to take care of business there. I don't think too many people would have picked 2-0 start for ISU. And that's why, I mean, Quinn, I I don't know. I know you follow some of my stuff, but I, I said really since November. It was the first week of November I said I thought this team could make the tournament. And I feel pretty good about that, though there's still a lot that needs to be accomplished here as we sit in the first week of January.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. You you weren't the first, you know, it's very early in the conference season, but I would say definitely looks like a team that will definitely make make it to March Madness, if not win a, a game or two in March Madness. And then once you get to March Madness, it's all about the matchups. But we'll we'll use that to segue into uh, the the, uh, other counterparts for the Cyclones. On the women's side, the Iowa State women, they picked up a 70-51 to win over West Virginia. Last night at Hilton Coliseum, Stephanie Suarez had a huge game for the Cyclones, only had 13 points, but 20 rebounds. First 20-rebound game for a Cyclone since Ashley Jones did it back in March of 2020. Jones also had a double-double, 19 points, 11 rebounds, as the Cyclones moved to 2 and 2-0. In the conference, 10 and 2 overall. And much much like the men on the men's side, the Big 12 women, the Big 12 women's standings, four teams are currently sitting undefeated in conference play. Kansas, Iowa State, Baylor, and Texas. Oklahoma, K-State are at one and one, and then Texas Tech, Okie State, West Virginia, and TCU are all at 0 and 2. And while the women may not be as deep, uh in terms of how just how good the overall team is, teams are at the bottom. You know, it's still a very tough league in the Big 12 uh, on the women's side, but Iowa State definitely appears to have, you know, been, been able to to re- regain their focus, regain uh, the the their, their, the pep in their step after faltering a little bit there in December, obviously with the loss to Iowa and a couple other setbacks. It feels like Iowa State starting to really gel as conference play ha- has begun on the women's side.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't able to watch you know as much of that as I would have liked. I wasn't at Hilton. Obviously, I was covering the the men's game kind of on yep. on my beat, but. You know, Suarez, I knew when that that was announced, and I I got word of that a while back, just kind of that addition. It felt like a game changer for this Cyclones women's team. And I really think it has been, especially, obviously she can score, but defensively, on the glass, Ashley Jones has been, for the most part, as good as advertised, if not better. And it's just going to be really interesting. To me, people knew the talent and everything, you know, with the head coach and, and really everyone coming back, essentially, for this Iowa State team. But to me, the story for them will be what can they do and what kind of noise can they make in March? Whereas I think it's a little bit different for the men. I think the expectations were a little bit varied just for each team, respectively, coming into the year. But I expect the Cyclones, just like last year, to be at or near the top of a Big 12 conference that, again, is, is very deep, but as well as high-level talent for the top of that conference corner.
1: Nick when you look at when you look at the depth of this Iowa State women's team I mean we know what we're gonna get from the starting five but who really needs to step up off the bench to provide that to provide that kind of spark to me it's either Morgan Kane Maggie um it's either Morgan Kane um Espin-Graw, uh, uh yeah, Miller McGraw yeah Maggie Miller, McGraw or uh or Neymar, is it Diu? How do you pronounce her last name? Neymar, or how how do you pronounce her name? I think
2: it's exactly how you were saying. Yet Neymir Diu.
1: Okay. Of those three, which one needs? Which one really needs to provide a spark off the bench for for Iowa State?
2: Well, you know, I, I have confidence in Morgan Kane. I I kind of like basically the clear cut role for her this year. Obviously, with the addition of. Suarez I feel like she can just kind of come in and and play her game I think that I remember at media days I believe it was coach Fennelly or maybe one of the players but I believe it was the head coach talked about potentially you know don't forget about her and and kind of her role and what she's able to do for this team and she's someone that I do have some confidence in Espen Miller McGraw as well can definitely play I mean they like you said the depth is very good it's better than last year I would argue but that's kind of my choice who I would pick there, especially as you kind of get into some of the games where, you know, maybe they are a little more physical or they're calling more fouls and you need to kind of go down to the bench and, and into the depth chart. But I feel like scoring-wise, especially in that starting five and shooting from long range, Iowa State can play with anyone.
1: This game on Sunday against Oklahoma is going to be a real good test for, for this Iowa State team. Would you agree? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously the men were just playing at Oklahoma and, you know, I I think it'll be a great test. I I think, again, just like I said about the men, it helps the start that the women have gotten off to. I, I think that while they were, you know, potentially a heavy favorite in their in their last game on Wednesday, That game was made interesting. I think Quinn briefly hit on it as well. You know, it was a good start. Certainly early on, I believe it was throughout the entire first quarter, things were close. So I feel like the important thing for this team, as you say about a lot of kind of contending teams are really keep your focus throughout conference play. Make sure you're not dropping games that you potentially could. And, and, you know, just keep the high level of focus, magnitude and chemistry throughout because this team, again, We know what type of talent it has. Right. But you have to kind of be able to do that, get to the Big 12 tournament and then obviously be able to make some noise when it really counts. Because I know that's something that obviously being around Ames, you know, in Ames a lot, the buzz was really, really strong and heavy coming into the year. And then, like Quinn mentioned, maybe faltered a little bit in December, but it's, it's starting to get back up there. I know yesterday was an incredible day really for Iowa State basketball as a whole, men's, women's recruiting, what have you. And I I do see that likely continuing into the Oklahoma game, into the TCU game for the men. And as we get further on into conference season.
0: I think you look at that Oklahoma game too, and that's an interesting matchup because it's not her first year there. She's been there for a couple of years, but another, another game where where, where, uh, Iowa State taking on a coach that's very familiar with them with Jenny Baranchek down at uh, Oklahoma, and also there's another storyline that goes into it that uh, uh, that Ashley Jones' sister Aubrey is now at Oklahoma playing for uh, Jenny Baranchek, who, of course, was the former head coach for the Drake Bulldogs before taking the job at OU, played for Lisa Bluter uh, at Iowa as well. So uh, it, it's going to be a game where it's it's two programs with two with, with stabs that know each other really, really well, uh, which I think is going to only play into the drama between two really good teams that are going to be playing at the Lloyd Noble Center on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think the staff is certainly intriguing as well as obviously, you know, Ashley Jones' sister moving on, not necessarily in an expected move, certainly within conference as well, mm-hmm. early on looking back. So I do think it'll be intriguing, and I think that that would be another really good, solid win to add to Iowa State's resume so far in January.
1: I think when you look at this next stretch for their for Iowa State women's schedule, when you look at – uh Obviously Oklahoma on Sunday and then get and then you face Kansas State at home next week, the same Kansas State team that clipped Iowa uh very early in the season. And then you go to Texas, which has always been kind of the thorn in Iowa State's side. And then you get Oklahoma State. Um and then you and then you get Kansas, which has been of you know, Kansas has been one of the best, one of the better teams in the country this year. I mean, I I think they're a top I think they're a top twenty five team, if not a top twenty team. Uh, I you know I think this is the most important stretch in Iowa State's season right now, at least in at least how how I look at it in terms of the the matchups and and how they want to be if they want to be viewed as that favorite, then these then these are the games that they're gonna have to play really well in and 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 win.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Looking a little further, you know, kind of deeply into that schedule, like you mentioned, Oklahoma, that would be. Massive. I I do expect though Kansas state has certainly shown those flashes, like you guys mentioned, should be a victory at home, but yeah, Texas, that's been kind of a tough place to play, even a tough matchup really for, for the Cyclones the last couple of years, Kansas has impressed. And then rounding out the month, you already get Oklahoma again at home for the Cyclones women. So I feel like if you can go through that stretch, you know, losing just one, maybe two games that, that sets you up really well kind of getting into the heart of Big 12 play and closer to the
1: postseason. And if they don't drop a loss, then I think I think some eyebrows will – I think just our, our suspicions about this team will just be confirmed. Mm-hmm.
2: The, yes, in, in terms of their potential and the ceiling, absolutely. If they're able to run the table there, I mean, then you're, just by quick math, looking at, I believe, a top four or five-ranked team by that point. So certainly agree there. I think I'll probably – choose that middle spot. I think they win most of those, maybe drop one, but I I definitely feel like they're hitting their stride again, guys.
0: Yeah, they, they are definitely at least appear to be doing so as a cycle woman. Again, they'll be playing on, uh, they'll be playing on Sunday as they take on, uh, they'll be back in action against uh, uh, Oklahoma. Blanked on that there for a second, apologize. But with that, we are going to move on to, uh, uh, talking about Iowa State football, obviously it's the offseason. Coaching carousel well underway, but uh, a lot of changes coming to uh, the Iowa State football team, especially on the offensive side of the football. Obviously, the Cyclones uh, ma- made uh, news in the coaching search once again today. They announced they have officially hired uh, former UI offensive line coach and co-offensive coordinator Ryan Clanton as the new offensive line coach for the Cyclones. Clanton, I think, personally, was a home run hire He's a guy that, that transformed Spencer Brown, who was an eight-man offensive tackle at Le- at, for Lennox High School down at Southwest Iowa into a uh, NFL starting offensive tackle and turned Trevor Penning from a, uh, uh, a Class A offensive lineman at Mason City Newman High School into a first-round draft pick and uh, as well as numerous all-conference selections as well in his time at UNI. Uh, I-, I felt like you know when, when the, the, the job was announced, it was open a few weeks ago, that was a name I, I had heard – from from quite a few people, uh, that Ryan Clanton would be someone Iowa State should really go after, and it appears Iowa State got the guy that a lot of people wanted. And, and and Nick, when I when I take a look at Ryan Clanton's track resume, especially when you look at Iowa State's recruiting grounds and how what you know how they can how they've been able to recruit, but maybe struggle in the development part. It feels like Clanton is a guy that can keep the recruiting level high, and he has shown he's an excellent developer of talent. But just from his from his work at you and I,
2: yeah, Quinn, you know. I hope that maybe part of where you saw that initially was yeah. maybe checking out my site a little bit. I'm very <laughs> proud of, of our coverage. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? It's easy to get excited about hires like this, guys. I have a hard time not seeing this one be a home run, quite honestly. I think that – I'm almost surprised that he was still available or at UNI, guys. I mean, he – like, I just obviously had had the story written for a little bit, but, you know, it became official. And when you look, you know, he basically – he had a little stint in the NFL. Very short, but still right out of college. So he, he can obviously play the game very well. And then you just named a couple guys. I totally forgot about Spencer Brown, too, when I was writing about it. But basically – I think the recruiting will still be good, but I have so much faith in Clinton. I'm not sure it even has to be for him to develop these guys into all Big 12 caliber linemen and potentially NFL guys. I know that there's a lot of excitement around this hire. He apparently is very, very excited for this role. He tweeted it out today, dream come true. And honestly, I think that's very sincere uh, with him. And, you know, with this program, I think it's going to be kind of that balance of being able to connect with players as well as that intensity and development role. And I feel that Clanton will be able to achieve it. And I mean, you know, as long as I'm here and and covering the team, I'm excited to see kind of what he can do with with that offensive line. I don't expect necessarily a whole different offense with Nate as OC, but I think that there will maybe, you know, be some tweaks and kind of put his, his own, uh, kind of twist with things. And I think that Clanton is just a a really good hire for this program right now. And I do feel that between that strength and conditioning and some of these other spots, you could potentially see these changes and potential improvements looking clear very on in their respective tenures.
1: And we also know that there's still some opening or some assistance on Campbell staffs that have departed for other jobs. Um, I know one of their one of the uh uh North Texas uh got I can't remember his name. He was like an analyst, right, for as their linebackers coach, and then one of their assistant DB coaches is off somewhere else. So, um, Nick, what what are you hearing on the murmurs about you know potential staff replacements? If if Campbell is looking at replacing those two, uh, those two staffers, or if or if he's you know thinking about hiring a special teams coach.
2: Yeah, where I'll go with uh there. So you were thinking of Colby Cratch and Matt yeah. Capone. Mm-hmm. Actually they both ended up at North Texas. Uh big jump for Matt Capone going to a defensive coordinator role. He did a great job with the DBs here at Iowa State. And what I will, you know, kind of say comfortably on this this show is I do get the sense that special teams was a pretty big uh kind of focus in this offseason in terms of conversations and And potential roles. So I do think that will be really big. And in terms of filling Capone's spot uh, at corners and DBs, Deion Broomfield, obviously still here, expected to be back at safeties. He's done a terrific job, but I do think they'll still look for kind of someone that has a lot of experience as well to go uh, in the corner spot. I feel like there's kind of some of this, this youth, obviously Shieldhouse is pretty young to have a terrific offensive coordinator role. So I think they like kind of the balance throughout the staff. Clanton, I believe is on the younger side too, mm-hmm. coming in at o line coach. So it will be intriguing, that's a little bit of, you know, kind of what I've heard. I, I certainly expect the defense to be really good again. I mean, when you've got guys like John Haycock, Broomfield, like I mentioned, Tyson Blight, Eli Rasheed, it's hard not to be good. I think that's a really, really underrated staff, but I think it's an exciting time for Iowa State football, even after a disappointing year. I think that they have done and, and are doing a really nice job, guys, with some of these hires.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree on, on that. You know, Nathan Shieldhouse from, uh, you know, he was I, – I think you know it, it may feel like a shot in the dark to some people, but excuse me, Matt Campbell feels really confident about his ability and what he's done, especially as being the wide receivers coach and being – the running game coordinator and the running backs coach as well. Uh, he's shown he can handle a big workload in that regard. And, and calling being the offense coordinator, calling plays, it feels like it feels like you know maybe people outside of the Iowa State, you know, outside of the Iowa State spectrum, maybe we're a little bit surprised by it. I don't think a lot of people at Iowa State were all too surprised about that. And like you said, you know, I, I've been raving about the hire of Ryan Clanton. I think that, like you said, that's a home run hire. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these uh, y- younger guys on the staff, you know, the staffers concern that some of the people that are leaving, especially replacing the role of DB coach. Uh, that is going to be a, a key, key uh, hire, I think, for Matt Campbell and, and company, because that's an area I think that's probably been Iowa State's strong suit defensively the last, you know, ever since John Heacock went to the 335 has been. That, that defensive back, especially this year, we saw it a lot, Nick. I was, I, this may have been maybe. Uh, the best defensive backfield Heacock has had from a playmaking standpoint, because there were games that just felt like it was somebody new. Uh, so you know, Anthony Johnson one game, T.J. Tampa another game. It just felt like a different game. Someone was stepping up and making plays. I think that's a credit to to what John Heacock, his, his overall scheme, and, and the work of Cratch has, has done to really uh, make make things uh, to make to make that Iowa State defensive backfield consistently one of the best in the Big Twelve.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting, guys. I mean, Quinn, you know, I haven't been here super long, right? It actually just hit a year. And I remember after one of those open spring practices, might have been the one we first met at, Quinn. Oh, Gilbert, uh, the, the, old Gilbert I uh, away, Yeah, I came away thinking, I, I even wrote about it. Don't be surprised if the secondary is kind of the most impressive position group on this team. And I think when you step back and kind of look at things, I think a lot of people would say that. I feel like Haycock should get credit. I, I definitely think that Broomfield and Capone absolutely should as well. And then the players buying in and, and really developing. TJ Tampa, Miles Purchase looked good. Anthony Johnson's got a shot at, at the pros. Both Freelers should probably make the NFL at some point. And then they have, you know, some freshmen and sophomores, Malik Verdon, uh, Jeremiah Cooper was a true freshman making some plays. Like you said, a different guy very often. It goes very deep. Even Mason Chambers, who who hit the portal, you know, he he showed some flashes. And I just think that that area of the staff is really strong. And you're right, that hire will be pretty important. Uh, whoever's going to be coming in and filling Mac pony
1: spot at the corners. It seems like Iowa State really hasn't gotten hit hard by the portal yet this year. And ter- when you look at the rest of college football, and it's kind of the opposite of how it was last year, because it felt like last year there were a lot of Iowa State players that were hitting the portal, Nick. Um do, do you think that there is do you think it's a combo of just it was a younger team, but also it's you know, there's gonna be a solid amount of guys that are getting that are about to get their opportunity this fall that's that's maybe you know, seeing Iowa State not get hit hard by the portal like a lot of other D1 schools?
2: Yeah, I think it's really intriguing because You know, often people would ask me on on radio or, you know, kind of on the boards with some of my readers, what do you expect, right? You expect a lot of guys to leave, you know, this guy, I'm hearing some buzz about this guy. And I was pretty consistent. I I didn't expect a lot of big-time players and guys with these major roles with Iowa State to leave because if you look at last year, yes, they, they struggled and they obviously did not have a great record. But so many of these games were close. I don't feel that it needs to be this major overhaul or change in culture or anything like that. I think it's, you know, kind of cleaning up some things around the edges. And I feel like that's a faith in Coach Campbell. I think it's a a faith in kind of the confidence and culture of the program. And I feel like that's why so many of these guys still believe and are going to be back for the 2023 season. I mean, you never know. You could – maybe see one or two more guys leave after spring ball, you know, things like that happen when guys have a better idea of the depth chart. But I can tell you confidently, I don't expect really any of these big names to be leaving at this point. I think it's major that guys like Hunter Decker, you know, Jalen Noel, Deshaun Hanneke, TJ Tampa, that they're all expected to be back with the Cyclone (laughs) this season. And I definitely don't think it was hit as hard as a lot of people on the outside may have thought.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because the transfer portal, today's day and age, I mean Iowa fans are seeing it. it it's, it's definitely had an, an effect in a positive and negative light. Like Iowa State fans saw it last stop season with how many pl- pl- uh, players took off because of the transfer portal. It's it feels like it's a 365 year you know, 60, 365 days year-round type deal in, in today's college football. You gotta be monitoring the transfer portal, see uh see who's in and who's out. So I think that definitely makes it makes it even uh makes it even more it makes it even tougher for a staff to monitor, oh, who who who's gonna be here, who do we think is gonna go, who is gonna go. And it just it, it feels like it's just it's just another chore, it almost feels like for coaches to have to monitor the portal and monitor their team and say, okay, who's going, who's staying, who do we think might go and and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, it's one part, you know, I, I love this job and I wouldn't trade it for much, but it's one area of the job that you really have to kind of keep your eyes on all the time. Mm. Obviously, being a reporter, I, I really don't know how some of these coaches, football, basketball, really how they're able to, you know, kind of keep the level of focus that they need throughout their respective seasons and obviously keeping eyes on, on that area. You know, I, I am somebody that believes players should be able to, to Go places and, and be happy with where they are and what they're doing, but you know, the, the portal gets a little crazy, and it's definitely a lot to kind of uh comprehend and stay up on throughout the year,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, with that, you I, I agree with both, with both of you guys. I think Iowa State's future is bright, especially coming up this year. I feel like this is gonna be a big redemption year for the uh Cardinal and the gold. Uh, with that, Nick, you can you can stay on if you want. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Iowa. Uh, football and Iowa basketball because there, there, there's been some to talk about. Nothing too crazy. And there's there's a topic that I want to I want to hear from both of you guys on um, when we get to it as it relates to Iowa basketball. But first of all, we'll stick with Iowa football. Obviously, they they capped their they capped their year with a bowl win over Kentucky, twenty one nothing. Iowa's defense looked dominant as it had most of the year. The offense kind of just did just enough with what with, with uh, what they needed. You know, I I thought I saw some things from Iowa offensively. Uh, Zach that that did, did encourage me I really liked what I saw from Joey Labis. you know getting getting the start being thrown kind of into the fire uh, although having a lot of time to prepare uh, obviously the offense was nothing nothing to, to to run home about or anything of that nature they still did things I thought were impressive I was impressed with how Joey Labis was came out and threw the football and I thought through it with confidence that's one thing I was really impressed with and, and it felt like the play calling Throughout the most part, from Brian Ferentz was tailored towards uh, the abilities of Joey Labus, and I think that showed in his performance. Uh, but I but I have to say the the, the Iowa defense they, they gave Iowa fans a, a show one last time uh, with how you know especially the secondary played and you know Cooper DeGene getting the pick six and hello Xavier Wampa getting your first interception and returning it for a touchdown. I think Iowa fans came away with a lot to be excited about going into the off season.
1: I don't think it was a debate that Cooper DeGene was the best player on that field uh, that day. So, uh, you know, I think uh, – um, I, I would say Cooper DeGene was the best player on the field, Um, and he played like it, having that pick six, very short pick six, and then downing two punts inside – you know, at the one or near the one-yard line. Um, Xavier obviously getting his first pick six. He's, you know, he's going to be looked at as someone that's going to have a you know, potentially a big, big 2023 as a, you know, a vital piece for that secondary. Um, and the offense did, it did, you know, typical Iowa offensive thing in 2022. It didn't, it did just enough, um, but not something to, to write home about. Obviously, Brian Ferentz had a little bit of fun with Sam Laporta uh, having a couple wildcat quarterback yeah. snaps. So what, what the media was able to see in those practices was not bait. They actually had, <laughs> they Florida. actually did it.
0: They actually, they did, actually it. did
1: it. <laughs> they actually did it. So Brian Fance was allowed to have a little bit of fun and you know, what very well could have been his last game as the Iowa play caller. Um, so it, it was, you know, it was, it was a, it was a quintessential, uh, 2022 Iowa football game where it was defense special teams and, the offense, you know, did some did had flashes of good things, but nothing, nothing that made you go wow. Like unlike the mm-hmm. defense and and the leg of Tory Taylor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know what, guys. I mean, as I kind of wrap up my my portion of this show, which I've definitely enjoyed and look forward to the next time, I got to say and, and give a little credit to you know our mutual friend David Eichold here uh, on this show. He told me about Cooper DeGene back in July, August, when we were kind of getting into the season. Mm -hmm. And this young player really has me thinking that his ceiling is way higher than I could have imagined. I mean, it, it sounds like the way he's put kind of some of his natural instincts, athleticism, all of this stuff put together and he looks like he could legitimately be like a future first-team all-conference and potential pro, just from some of some of Iowa that I've seen. I probably saw three or four games this year, including the bowl game, and it's just mm-hmm. so natural in his abilities. I think that was a great opportunity for Xavier Wonka as well. I think that he will be kind of a fixture in Iowa's defense in the near future, and you know, as more of these Iowa defenders get to the NFL like Van Ness will be and several others this year. I just think it's going to continue to build, especially on the defensive side of the ball mm. and really remain one of the top units in the entire country.
0: Yeah, it definitely. was a, it was a look into the future. What Iowa could look like uh, on the defensive side of the football in t- 2023. We're not going to have a great idea about the offense, probably tell, we're at the end of spring ball. I I think we're, we're when when people can really start to get a feel with the offense because I'm still active in the transfer portal. They're still working on uh, on getting guys uh, to to come in from the transfer portal. So the defense, I think we have an idea of what we're getting. The offense, even if if somehow Brian Ferentz does come back, I don't think we really know what we're going to get. Uh, so that's why I think spring. I think spring ball is going to be a, a big telltale, at least give us an idea of what uh things look like for for Iowa uh in that regard on the offensive side of the football, but. I do want to move on to Iowa basketball because I did want to talk about this, Nick, while we still have you. Because I, I think this is a really fascinating topic. Uh, obviously, we, we learned a, a couple days back, or a few days back, that Patrick McCaffrey for Iowa would be taking an indefinite leave of absence uh, because of uh, issues as it relates to anxiety. Uh, and uh, so he is going to be taking a step back from playing. He's still going to be with the team, but he's going to take a step back and, and kind of evaluate himself and and get some get some likely needed help. And uh, really, I-, I thought it was a real important. It was really important that Patrick did that because I I, I don't know, and you guys may have seen other, uh, have seen elsewhere. I just don't, I just don't remember in my mind. I don't think I've ever seen a player step aside for that long. You know, step aside and make it out that publicly that hey, I'm stepping aside. I need to work on myself mentally. I will come back when I'm ready. It, it felt like that was a a. a- not almost a monumental, but not quite. It was a very big moment. Uh, I think. I don't think it's quite monumental, but it's a very big moment. in 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 college athletes, in, the, in when it comes to their mental health, it really felt like something that uh, was. was Is among the trendsetters, really, that, you know, hey, it's okay to step aside. If you are dealing with mental health issues, it is okay to step aside and put yourself first and get yourself better before you come back and help the team. I really really think it was a commendable thing, what Patrick McCaffrey did.
2: Yeah, honestly, I was already, you know, a fan of McCaffrey. And, you know, I'll be honest here, guys. And I haven't, you know, I didn't write this, tweet it, really anything. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily something that's super rare. But, you know, basically, since something happened in my young life, uh, when I was a kid, I was so nearing 20 years, geez, I'm getting old, but uh, dealt with some real, you know, anxiety issues. You know, I, I was diagnosed with something uh, before I was a teenager, you know, took medication for it for several years. And so when I saw that uh, that announcement, not only was it something unexpected, but, you know, I just kind of took a step back, like you mentioned, he really did. And just a lot of respect and kind of appreciation, admiration for, you know, not only doing what you need to take care of yourself, but being so uh, honest and kind of outright about it. Um, you know, as a fan of basketball and now definitely further fan of him, I, I hope that You know, he's able to kind of deal with those uh, issues and get himself in, you know, kind of a better place as much as he can with that, Mm -hmm. Uh, because obviously he's a joy to watch on the court. But you definitely you want the best for anyone, especially kind of going through something like that. And, yeah, you know, I'm glad we touched on it while I could still be here briefly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that I think is gaining a lot of attention and uh, kind of a talking point nationwide. And I, I have to respect it very much and I wish the absolute best, you know, for Patrick and, and the McCaffrey family.
1: Yeah. It was uh you know it was uh obviously, you know, heartfelt and commendable for Patrick to to do that and to announce it publicly because you know he he could have you know, it could have been something that Fran did or something like that, but Patrick wanted to do it and it it wanted to be from him. And, you know, the most recent one that I can think of was uh, DJ Carton a couple years ago when he was at Ohio state. Um, And uh, he, uh, he said that he was going to leave Ohio state publicly to, uh, um, to take care of some anxiety issues Um. So it was uh so it's very similar to that. Um and DJ ended up not, you know, obviously not returning to Ohio State and end up transferring to Marquette. Um and now he's now he's with the Iowa Wolves and one of the best uh one of the best scorers in the G League for the Iowa Wolves. Um so and I, you know, I think Patrick is uh he's he's a bright young he's a he's a bright young man he's smart he's he's a damn good basketball player and you know for him to recognize that he wasn't his best uh to himself and to his teammates um and that he that his his off the court or on the court mannerisms just were off and his play was off like he knew he had to step away and it shows some real character and it shows some real growth in him as a as a human being in order to recognize that and do that like You can only commend and, you know, just wish you wish the best for him and you hope that the help and the resources he's going to get are going to are going to allow him to, you know, feel better and, you know, help help his anxiety issues and be able to get back on the basketball court and play at a high level like he like he has like he like he like we all know he can and like, he know, we can.
0: Yeah, it's really it's a topic and it's a topic that really hits home for me because I mentioned it before here on this podcast, you know, I've been through my personal struggles, especially playing sports, even in high school, you know, we, we talk about, we can't even imagine what college athletes go through in terms of the scrutiny and everything in, in, in that regard. You know, high school athletes, I think are, are no exemption to that. I think high school athletes go through a lot more scrutiny, except I think you'll see it come a lot more from within the locker room rather than, uh, you know, outside noise. And, you know, it happens it happens in, in, in every program. I mean, if you find me a program that doesn't do that, I think I'm going to call you a liar. But you know, I, I've dealt with my own mental health issues. I, I've never been, you know, officially diagnosed with anything. I, I you know I did have. I have struggled with anxiety, especially when I was a kid, uh, for, for from some events uh, that when I from when I was a kid, uh, I have sent. You know, I, I used to have to take medication too. I, I've become in my older years become much better about. Uh, controlling that anxiety. It it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't just shut me down the way it used to when I was a kid, but uh, you know, I still deal with it. I I still deal with it from, from a lot of things that, uh, you know, from from things in my life that I've talked about on the, on this podcast before, like uh, uh, obviously, you know, my parents getting divorced when I was in high school uh, losing, losing my head football coach, who was my mentor uh, when I, when I was still playing for him, when I was a junior in high school, you know, stuff I've been open about here on this podcast and on social media, and it's just it's finding I, I think it boils down to finding those things that you love that you love and, and the things you need to do to get yourself back to that normal state. And for Patrick, he loves the game of basketball, but I think for, for I think he feels for what he has to do to get back to where he where he needs to be mentally. I think I think he realized he needed to step away and take some time for himself. And that's, you know, some people and that's how some people handle it. You know, others handle it differently. You know, I can speak for me personally when you know I'm going through stressful times, and, and you know I, I'm dealing with anxiety, and you know, board, you know, you can call it trauma. I, I I don't call it trauma, but I just say anxiety and things that that affect you and from a mental aspect. Uh, I handle it by diving myself into my work, throwing myself into my work even more. Uh, than I am before, whether that's healthy or not, I, you know, I, I've never consulted a doctor about it, but you know, that's just that's just that's just that's, just, that's what I do. That, that's what right. I know, and I right. just you know, work hard. I just work harder, and, and it helps me. It gets my mind off of what's bothering me. Uh, yeah. But obviously, with, with, with Patrick, I think what I'm going through is how it pales in comparison to what Patrick is going through. Uh, but at least to some extent, I, I can relate to what, what Patrick's going through in terms of dealing with anxiety and realizing you need to get help, because I because I, it's okay, you know, the saying goes, it's okay to not be okay, and, you know, I, I've always been a big proponent of, you know, getting help from a mental health aspect. I know I, I mentioned it before as well. Uh, I have a family friend of mine. His name is Bill Dean. He runs uh, an outfit called uh, Can't Out Mental Health. Uh, one of these times, I'm, I, we're going to have Bill on the podcast, and he's got uh, a lot of great things when it comes to mental health and athletes, and I, I'd love to get him on at some point, uh, but you know i'm very very supportive of what he does and i i really uh really you know especially throughout this this past year i've become very very more uh, keen to mental health and as it relates to college athletics and i i can help i can just only hope that uh patrick is doing what he is doing what he can to get himself back into that normal state where we can see him back uh back on the floor again competing for the black and gold
1: the best part of all this is that if there is a best part of all this is that he's with his family and he's in Iowa mm-hmm. city. He's in yes. his hometown with he's his his, with home. his dad, yeah. his mom, his brothers. Like he's with his family. He's not, you know, it's not like a DJ situation where he was, where he's, you know, from Eastern Iowa and he's all the way out in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and you know, and that, that uh, no doubt played, played a major factor in it. He's yeah. Patrick's at home. He's in his hometown. He's with his family. He's with the, he's with the people in his inner circle that he trusts and loves. So that's going to, that's a big, that's a big part in, in this, in this healing that he's going to go on. And we, you know, everyone, everyone is that it's an Iowa fan or a student in Iowa or, uh, or anyone in the state should just be wishing him the absolute best on this, yeah. on, on his, on his road to on his road back to the, you know, back to the basketball court, whenever it, whenever it may be.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think you could have put it better enough. And with that, I think we I think we use that to, to wrap up uh, episode number 22 of the podcast. Uh, we do want to thank Nick for coming on. Nick had to, had to dip out because he had some, things for work he had to do but we appreciate Nick for coming on I know he's been he's been wanting to get on the podcast for a little bit but I'm glad was, we could finally find a time to get him on he's definitely uh, Cyclone fans you know whoever to the Cyclone fans listening you guys got a good one at 247 and Nick goes, and I highly recommend you read his stuff because he's fantastic at uh, what he does but that's going to do it for episode number 22 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast For my co-host Zach Martin Quinn Douglas signing off and we'll talk to you again next week